LBC. Morning. How are we? I bet you're as excited as I am because it's Friday. We're all excited about Friday. I don't know why it is. I mean, not much use to you if you work the weekend. You're probably going, oh, it's Friday. It means I've got to work tomorrow. For us who work Monday to Friday, and Sunday as well in my case, um, you know, it's nice. It's not- Yesterday, fantastic day. Really fantastic day. Uh, with Kian Egan. What a great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear that one. And Stephen Tomkinson, who we're going to be running this weekend for In Conversation. Again, such a nice man. Such a nice man. And we'll play you a little clip later on. Plus, we have a a clip, actually both of our guests for In Conversation this week. Floella Benjamin, Baroness, no less, and Stephen Tomkinson. So all of that and more. Oh, and a gadget competition this morning. It's all to play for. There you go. Anyway, uh, what else? We'll have the weather. I'm hoping... This weekend is going to be good. We've got uh, rugby. It's Wales and England on Sunday. Actually, it's quite interesting because uh, James O'Brien's producer, Michael, is going to be going to it. And so I said, well, I'm going to be home on, on Sunday. You know, pop round. Well, don't, don't actually pop round. I don't like people popping round. But, uh, you know, we'll sort of meet up for a cup of tea or something like that and uh, have a good old natter before the game. It's going to be th- 88,000, I think, that's coming in. Uh, the story today, very misleading, very misleading. I think so. Second day running, they've done a misleading story on the front of the mirror. Uh, the reason it's misleading is, is the other day, do you remember they were saying that um, Mark Wright and his girlfriend were going to be going into Strictly? And I said, no, no, that was lifted from OK magazine. And they didn't say that at all. What he said was that he'd been approached, but he hadn't committed himself to anything like that. So the story on the front page today is another one which you could be forgiven for thinking is a current story. And it's in a picture of a girl in a coma. And what she'd done, she'd down, downed 10, 10 Jaeger bombs. Now, I had to have this explained to me a while ago, because I'm no longer of that age where I understand what the Dickens a Jaeger bomb is. But it's, it's a thing that young people have, and they, they have it when they go out and they drink it, and you get drunk and they say, yeah, and start doing wild, crazy things. I would think to drink 10 of them is probably as stupid as people who go on holiday to Falaraki and all these other places and down God knows how much vodka and everything else, then wonder why they pass out and they're dead by an early age. In this case, this Jaeger bomb binge put me in a coma. She's 18. She's quite clearly, you know, a bit stupid. You'd have to be. I mean, you would know, wouldn't you? You know, to down ten of these. Even the people in the office were going, ten Jaeger bombs is, is kind of like a lot. And you would think that here she is and she's on a life support machine. No, all of this happened some time ago. And her heart stopped three times. And so they've got a picture of her... <coughs> excuse me, now. Uh, she collapsed eight hours after the drinks. She had to have... Um, she was wedged to cardiac arrest. She apparently died at one point. And you think to yourself, well, I mean, how dumb are you? You know, people do this every so often, and you can't instill on people, young, old, black, white, green, pink, pink with yellow spots, I couldn't tell us what they are, but if you're a bit stupid over alcohol, well, then it's your problem, isn't it? You know, we understand the difference between somebody who drinks to get drunk. I mean, to drink ten of these things is just sheer stupidness. stupidness. It's ridiculous. I don't know what, what you can say to somebody. I mean, there was a boy in the paper today who died after downing an extreme amount of booze at a house party. His name was Jamie Capon. He was 16. He was more than five times the drink drive limit. And you think it's 16. I mean, do they not... I mean, do do people not tell young people nowadays? They're not saying to them, listen, if you go out to a pub, you know, have a few drinks, get yourself a little bit merry. Don't drink yourself into a stupor. Every time I see these programmes about holiday reps in Falaraki or Mabea or wherever they all go to... You know, it's people downing shots to get as drunk as you can. And then they just crash into walls and they become, you know, people get attacked. Girls get raped. 
You know, it really is quite... People are throwing up in the street, and this apparently makes an entertaining programme. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. So, this story here, you know, she, she could have died. She could have died. Nobody would have been a bit surprised, having sort of, you know, having her heart stopped three times, so they've got a picture of her on a life support machine. She's OK now. She's, she's back in recovery. But hopefully it'll be a piece of advice and a piece of warning to her not to go anywhere near it, you know. If you want people to take you seriously then just make sure that you don't do stupid things like that. Mind you, talking of stupid things, I, I, I was getting myself ready this morning. I woke up a little bit earlier, and uh, and I was I sort of flipped on the television, as I'm prone to do. I like to find out if anybody's died. I like to find out what, what the top news story is, and I like to find out what's going on in the world. So I catch up with ABC News, and I'm listening to LBC in the bathroom, so I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm up to speed with all of it. But in between that, The Only Way is Essex was on. And the one thing I've noticed about the programme this time round, apart from the fact that uh, all the girls, and that included Bobby Boris Cole, or whatever his name is, you know, the only embarrassing gay in the village, the only one who the boys really don't want him hanging around with them at all. So he hangs around with the girls, which kind of seems a bit of a pointless exercise if you're gay, but there you go. Anyway, so they all go off to a spa. There must be the only spa where they all sit there in full Essex troweled on makeup. I say Essex troweled on makeup. Gemma Collins's was troweled on. And, uh, and again, you know, a 33-year-old woman in the body of a heifer-lump, uh, but with a mental age of a five-year-old. And so you have to listen to them droning on about their silly boyfriends. Bobby Norris Cole, or whatever it is, and God knows what he does for a living. Apparently he's a businessman, but there again, I thought businesswoman would have been a bit more appropriate. I mean, just absolutely appalling. And the language, it's definitely got worse. You've now got some of the girls in there... Oh, it's a good picture of you. And, um, it's... Sorry, I was just, just looking. Uh, anyway, so, um... I said, the language is, is now appalling. They use the F word on the television. I mean, you know, to hear a woman on the... So, she, so she's got to make up on, and then out it comes, the voice of a fishwife. You know, and it's all of them. It's absolutely all of them, without any exception. The ghastly old for here's sisters. I mean, dear God in heaven. If any, anybody ever looked like Thai ladyboys, they'd be it. Gemma Collett, as I say, poor soul, just, just looks out of her depth everywhere, just ridiculous. Bobby, well, just pathetically awful. But the worst character, the worst character in there is um, a new guy. I think he's called Frank. And he's obviously slept with one of the fellas' girlfriends in there. And I thought it was going to come to blows. I seriously thought, he's a horrible piece of work. Apart from the fact he's dead ugly. He's quite clearly not a very nice person. And he kept saying to this other poor little boy, who, to be honest with you, if you're going out with this girl and then she sleeps with somebody else, you ditch her straight away because she's quite clearly a tramp. It's as simple as that. You know, don't start putting it around all over the place unless you're charging, in which case it's OK. So Frank is then standing at the bar going, listen, you know, I don't want you sort of... They all talk like that. Everybody talk like that. I don't know why. Nobody can appear to string two words together. And so they, they were talking about, you know, listen, uh, you know, don't mug me off. This is Gemma Collins' favourite expression, you know, because they mug you off or something. And then Bobby said something, which means he's obviously got a bit of gossip about something. But then, you know, being the evil little queen he is, I should imagine, it's probably loads of gossip about just about any of them. But this by Frank, awful, don't, listen, don't, don't mug me off, mate. He said, don't talk about me and I won't talk about you. And I'm thinking... Who on earth do you think you are, apart from some ugly little bloke who then kept saying, just remember, I slept with your girlfriend. And I'm thinking, why would this be of any interest to anybody? And so I sat there, you know, practically tongue out, going, these people are awful. These people are just not pleasant at all. But I still watched it. Because that's what I like, you know, I get paid for talking about things like that. Delivering in loads of office blocks, says young Kev, the milkman. He says, it means I miss bits of the show. 
So imagine my surprise when little Julie texted me after yesterday's show, asking if I heard my text read out, and a text from another Kevin the Milkman. I could have dropped off my perch. Yeah, there are two Kevin the Milkmans. Two Kevin the Milkmans. He said, God help the world. Me delivering to the city in East End, and now I'm in Kent delivering at the same time. I do get around. He says, uh, thank you little Julie for telling me, and apparently there's also another LJ2. The listeners are multiplying. Uh, happy Friday from the original Kevin the Milkman. He said, makes me sound quite old, eh? Yep. The original Kevin the Milkman. I'm verified. I'd just like to mention that again now, you know. Makes me feel quite happy. I tell everybody I'm verified. Makes me sound sort of like someone got some, some new religion going on, doesn't it, really? Uh, what else we got? Oh, we got the competition for you. I'll tell you about the competition in a moment, because I'm not in any dire rush to bring it to you just yet. I'd like you to pull yourselves together. I think pu- pulling yourselves together is actually quite good. Well, I don't know, actually, uh, Poddy, whether or not you know how to separate the texts from the ones that come in for the competition... Otherwise, we have to trawl through mountains of things to try and find if anybody sent a text in. Because I get a bit confused on a Friday. I get confused most days of the week. Thank you for all your um, tweets yesterday in response to my... Uh, I had such a, such a good day yesterday. I mean, Kean Egan, it was funny because we were waiting uh, on Kean Egan, uh, Egan to come in. And he phoned to say he was late. And so we had Stephen Tomkinson booked in as well. And then we got a phone call to say, no, Kean's running about about ten minutes late. And I said, what are we going to do if, if Stephen Tomkinson turns up? As luck would have it, at that moment, Stephen Tomkinson turns up. So we whiz him upstairs, you know, as indeed we can. And we had a great chat with him. And then, lo and behold, we then got Kean Egan in, who was in fine form, telling us all the bits about the jungle. He, he told me loads of bits about the jungle I didn't know. He's got a single out. He admitted, do you remember some time ago? Because I was saying to him, I said, I always maintained that you never sang in Westlife, that you were you were background. He said, that's exactly what I was. He said, I, he said, I was I was never daft enough. He said not to realise exactly what I did in in the, in the group. And they had, you know, I mean, he actually credits Louis Walsh with everything that that uh, that they had in the group. Everything in Westlife was down to Louis Walsh. He was the man who decided the songs. He was the man who, you know, decided... And he was a taskmaster. I remember a friend of mine phoning me from one of the television stations saying, Louis's been on the phone, shouting down the phone at the boys. And Kean said he used to shout down the phone at us, saying, pull yourselves together, you look sloppy, and this, I want to make sure it looks right. And that's why it worked for them. That's why they had 14 number ones. That's why they sold millions of records. But they knew it was right to quit. He said, we knew it was right, and we had to stop. He said, now, whether we get back together again in five years... Remains to be seen. He said, but, and, and so I was curious, because you remember Shane Filan, he went bankrupt over some property. And I remember thinking, now that must be difficult. And so I was saying to him, and, and I thought this was very telling. I said, have you saved your money? And he said, yeah. Because when, when, when Westlife finished, he didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to go home to Ireland with his, uh, with his gorgeous girlfriend, now his wife, and he has a, um, a son as well. He said, no, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to do anything at all. He said, I just wanted to sit there. And then I thought, no, I'd just quite like to have little jobs here and there. And that's exactly what he's done. He's done a bit of presenting on the television. He's done, and he won, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here. And it was, it was really good for him. But he's so down to earth and he's so grounded. I don't think he's got that much money. And the reason that they, even though with all those hits, made money... Because they didn't write anything, you don't make as much money. That's why George Michael has got a fortune of about 40 to 50 million. uh, Because he wrote the music. If you write the music, you make all the money. That's why the Spice Girls made money. 
even though I don't believe that they wrote too much, they got themselves on the writing credits. So every song from the Spice Girls has got them all listed as, as part of it. Robbie Williams, of course, in Angels, he only wrote one line in it. And it was, and down the waterfall. That was Robbie Williams' sole contribution to Angels. But he's on the writing credit. The rest of it is Guy Chambers. And so Robbie Williams wrote, and down the waterfall. And that was it. He didn't go any further than that. That was obviously the extent of his writing talents. So you need to write stuff if, you, if you're in a band or you're a singer. Because that's the way you make the money. But Key and Egan, it's, it's a great conversation. And if you love talk of, uh, of old theatre and music hall and Blackpool... We do talk about that with Stephen Tompkins. We'll have a little clip from this weekend's In Conversation a bit later on. It's 4.15. This is LBC. It's Crufts this weekend. And the reason that Floella Benjamin is in is because she was talking about a radio station for dogs. A radio station for dogs. You know, it's... Uh, it's, it's the, I've never heard of such a thing before, and she hadn't heard of it either. Which is absolutely brilliant. And so she's talking about that... But by the time you hear the interview on the Sunday, I think it will have finished. So you need to go online and check about it. And check about it. You know, because that's the... Uh, that's the. I thought you just said goodbye. Now you're back again. Can't believe it. One minute James is here. And then he said, I'm going now. And then he's, he's sitting. Where's Poddy gone to? He's wandered off now. I've said to him, it really is embarrassing. Just keep off that, uh, that thing, that app on his phone. It's ridiculous. Uh, Tanya says, if somebody drives onto a level crossing and gets killed by a train, it's not the train driver's fault. Same as if somebody drives over a cliff and dies. It's not the cliff's fault. Natural selection. No, I mean, I don't know why. Why would anybody say it was the train driver's fault? I mean, if somebody drives onto a crossing, they only got themselves to blame. I couldn't care less. I couldn't, I couldn't be less interested, I'm afraid. You hear about it. I've seen people, I've seen the programmes on the television where somebody tries to drive across there because they do have these unmanned crossings. Years ago, they were manned. Now they're all automatic. The, the person who's operating it can see on the cameras. But you get some people, you know, they, they put the flashing lights on to warn you that the barriers are going to come down. But I, I do believe in certain parts of the country the, uh, the barriers aren't there in the first place. It's one of those things they just flash the lights and you sit there. Because the train thunders through at speeds you can only imagine, especially if it's one of the fast ones. Sometimes if there's a train station, then they, they, they slow down so they go over the crossing at not particularly fast. Still do damage. Still do damage to cars. And it's it's very interesting. It's very interesting to say that, you know, it's the driver's fault. It's never the driver's fault. It's like people who throw themselves in front of tube trains. I've spoken to tube drivers before and they say, you know, now they come into stations much quieter, much, much quieter and much slower because they they always worry, don't they? They always worry about things like that happening to them, because then they have to be taken off, they have to they get a bit traumatised by the whole thing. Anyway, so, so do check out the Dogs Radio. I think you can go on onto Google and just find out all about it. It's got all sorts of things, and uh, Fluella, Baroness Benjamin, will be adding her contribution. Um, they've done a huge piece on this new musical called I Can't Sing, and they've got somebody playing Louis Walsh, and they've got Nigel Harmon, who was with us a couple of weeks ago on In Conversation. We get some, we've got some fantastic guests. I mean, yesterday was really... You know, I, I walked out the building yesterday, because everybody always says to me, after, after you do an In Conversation, they always say, what were they like? And I always go, fantastic. And yesterday was fantastic. I don't think we've had a bad week. I don't think we, we, we've had anybody who was bad. I, I can't remember off the top of my head anybody um, who's actually come into the studio and who hasn't worked out in the way I wanted them to work out it. Because they all absolutely loved me. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, it must be one of the only jobs. I think I texted 
uh, a short while ago, I said, you know, I just love my job. I can't believe that you actually get paid to talk to celebrities. <laughs> I mean, God, it doesn't get any better, does it? Uh, so they, they've got uh, Liam O'Deary, uh, who is also doing a lot of hugging, and I think that's based on Dermot O'Dreary in this musical, I Can't Sing. Uh, they think it could be Ashley Cole, who's now Geordie. Uh, oh, sorry, Randy Judge Geordie has a statue of Ashley Cole, which she cradles at night. But uh, Simon Harmon, uh, Simon Harmon, <laughs> Nigel Harmon, looks very good. It, sh- it should be very, very interesting. From what I've heard, it's, it's going well. They're, they're determined to get it absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, big fat gypsy wedding star Paddy Doherty. Good God, he's not still trawling around, is he? Poor old soul. Yesterday banned for three years from contact with a stepbrother he headbutted at a wake. Pathetic little girl, isn't he, really? Never mind. Uh, the judge says you're too old to be coming to these courts for fighting in pubs. Well, he's, he's, a, he's a bit thick, isn't he? There's nothing else that you can say to him. Uh, there's a, a woman who told a court she was on her phone when she had an, an accident and killed into... And killed, uh, crashed and killed two toddlers. I've said before, anybody, anybody who goes onto their phone and drives along, it distracts you. It distracts you. And you shouldn't actually be doing it. But people do. People do things like that. Nothing you can do about it. You just have to put up with it. You accept the fact that some people are really stupid and some people aren't really stupid. Now, Dawn went to Michael McIntyre's show the other day. This is his new chat show. Uh, on Wednesday. Very entertaining. She said, uh, I think there's a touch more humour about this show than the other chat shows around. Even grumpy Alan Sugar was making jokes about when he met the Queen. Michael McIntyre was very enthusiastic and funny. Enjoyed coming out into the audience several times. The guests were, as we told you on the programme, Terry Wogan, Lily Allen, Alan Sugar. It was a kind of in-conversation feel to it, rather than a straightforward interview. Yeah, I mean, I don't do straightforward interviews. In conversation is exactly what it says in the title. It's a conversation. So, in fact, we can talk about anything, which, in fact, we do with Stephen Tomkinson. And uh, a bit of audience participation. Each guest had at least one game item done. And then she says, I don't really understand the problem we had with Lily Allen doing two chat shows on BBC One. They're being broadcast over two weeks apart, with two different hosts and on two different days of the week. No, the problem is, it's crap booking. In other words, she's on there to plug her album and to plug her single, which is exactly what she was on Graham Norton to do. That's all she's there for. She just plugs things. And what they should have done, and I'm assuming they went, oh, who's actually available? We need a musical person on there. Who's somebody who can come on and say, oh, book her? It's lazy booking. It's lazy booking. And uh, it is dreary to see somebody on two chat shows. It's very. We've seen her on one. She's been on Graham Norton. It's on the BBC you know, enough already. Otherwise, it's going to be seen as product placement. In other words, it's going to be seen, Dawn, as is somebody on a backhander, you know, getting, getting a bit of money for putting her on a, on a show. She's got nothing to say. We saw her, you know, on Graham Norton. Unfortunately, she was eclipsed totally by the other two guests. And so the only thing she could do was actually go on there and sing. If I went along and they went... It's, it's like um, I was going through OK! magazine the other day at the station. I was whiling away a few minutes... And there was one of the parties there, and they went, and one of the guests was Jordan. I thought, well, that's a place you wouldn't want to go to. It's like you walk into a party, and they go, Jordan's here. You go, I'm at the wrong party. It's that low rent. So, you know, to have the same guest on two weeks apart, it's just lazy booking. It's shoddy researchers. Shoddy researchers. It's going out uh, this Monday at 10.35. But uh, what they did, for a 45-minute show, they recorded for over two hours, which is normal but it's bum-numbingly boring for the audience. You sit there for two hours. It was, we used to sit there for two hours for the Generation Game, and that was an hour programme, because they have to do the set. I don't know why they recorded for two hours. I mean, 
I suppose you, you over-record. We never over-record. I do a programme that lasts for In Conversation for 25 minutes or 26 minutes or whatever it is. We do two 13-minute bands. It's as simple as that. I don't over-record. I don't need to over-record. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly... I don't have to sit there with a load of questions written down because I'm having a conversation. You don't... If I was having a conversation with the producer party upstairs, we wouldn't sit down there and I'd write questions out say, saying, so what have you been up to? You know, you don't do that, do you? You have a conversation. And that's why. That was the only reason. You know, and also, what does Terry Wogan contribute now? I mean, what, what, what were they asking him about? I'm fascinated to discover what you could possibly ask somebody who's been in the business a long time. Because once you've done one interview... You've done all interviews. All interviews are the same. They're a conversation between two people. And they either work or they don't work. But I've never had one that hasn't worked. Or oh, tell a lie, there was one years and years ago. Yul Brynner's son. That was the only one that didn't actually work. His, his son had written a book about his father. And I think I've repeated this story before. He, uh, he described him as a bit of a Lothario. You know, liked, liked the ladies. And and so when he came in the studio, we were chatting about it, and I said, you know, your, your father got around a bit, didn't he, with the women? And he looked at me, and he had, and there was nothing worse than a bald man with a ponytail. There was something slightly odd about that. But anyway, he said, uh, uh, my father isn't here to answer for himself uh, because he's he's dead. And I said, but you wrote about it. I suddenly realised perhaps he was that stupid. Perhaps he didn't realise that he'd wrote, written about it in the book. So that's why I mentioned it. I would never mention something if I didn't know it was true. I said, well, you wrote about it in the book. And uh, and so you know, he then kind of conceded defeat. It was like uh, Betty Davis came in to be spoken to by Brian Hayes. She'd done an autobiography, or a biography, and she came in to talk about it. So Betty Davis comes in, and she was wearing little little wigs with the hat sewn into the wig, if you, if you can try and visualise that, and she's a little old lady like that. And Brian Hayes said to her, he said, oh, I'd like to ask you about so-and-so. I don't want to talk about that. And so Brian said, well, you wrote about it in your book, so you will talk about that. You know, if you don't want to talk about it, we might as well terminate the interview. It was 1914. And so she went into her story. It was so funny, actually. You know, when you think the, the people who've passed through LBC... Some have lingered a little bit longer. But yesterday was a particularly good day. I did bounce out of the studio. And then with the weather, that was quite nice as well. So today, it's just lunch. I'm afraid. I've got lunch. I say I'm afraid. I'm not afraid about lunch at all. But I'm having lunch, and then I'm back home, and then I'm out for dinner this evening. I'm going to be as big as Gemma Collins if I'm not careful. I really am. Uh, anyway, we'll have the uh, competition coming up very, very shortly. It'll be your, your chance to... Um, to have a go and see what gadget I've got for you today. And I think you'll find it's actually, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a nice one. Uh, coming up, Britons stuff their homes with what? I'll give you a cl- Well, actually, you know what it is. Junk. Absolute rubbish. To the tune of £32 billion. I think I'm one of the culprits. LBC News time. It's 4.30. <laughs> Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to five. It's nice to have your company. Another, another day of sunshine. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Oh, could do with a day of sunshine. I really can. Uh, unlike the original Kevin the Milkman, says Kevin the number two Milkman now, I don't miss much of the show. Over 600 customers uh, split every other day, mainly houses, so I'm not out of the float long. Start at midnight, look forward to 4am. So I normally hear Duncan, Ollie, you, Nick, and then James. My goodness me, you're, you're a long-standing person, aren't you? He says, uh, if I have anyone with me learning the round, they generally get hooked to your show. Many milkmen have been converted. So I hear. So I hear. And, uh, and then somebody here says, Angels wasn't written by Robbie, it was written by David Byrne. No, it wasn't. Absolute drivel. Of course it wasn't. 
You want to read the, the writing credits? It was written by Ray Hefferman, Robbie Williams and Guy Chambers. Williams and Chambers uh, are credited with joint co-writers when it came out in 97. Don't talk to an expert on it. I'm an expert on things. I know everything. I am the font of all knowledge. You know, if, you, if you don't know something, you know, for goodness sake, fess up to it and sort of say, yeah, I'm terribly sorry, I've got no idea what I'm talking about. That's Peter in Liverpool. I mean, reaffirming my faith as the further up the country you get, the dafter people become. So we know exactly who it was written by, and we know exactly what line he wrote, because he's talked about it. And every, Go onto YouTube and find out. But don't spout rubbish if you don't know about something. It's very embarrassing, I'm afraid. Uh, the good news for John Lewis and Waitrose staff. 90,000 workers, 15% bonus. That's uh, eight weeks' pay. I worked for the John Lewis Partnership some years ago. And it was lovely. You get a bonus at Christmas. So the, that's why they have staff loyalty. The staff loyalty is, is reflected in the fact that they're on a bonus. The, the more money the company makes, the more the workers share out. So staff at the department store chain and the sister supermarket, Waitrose, pocket 15%. So the average worker on about 14000 will receive a little over £2,000 in this month's pay packet. The chairman will get £123,000. It's a nice little bonus, isn't it? It's another little car, I should imagine. And, I mean, the windfall, you know, is, is evident for the staff. Many staff have been there for donkey's years because they get 15% off their Waitrose shopping. They get 25% off most things in the department store. They get cheap holidays, and that's why they get that. But I think that the firm that scores best is Iceland. Even though the staff don't get a bonus, as far as... Well, I'm not sure if they do get a bonus. I might have to take that back later on. But whatever it is, they say they're the happiest staff there. And I said that to a friend of mine the other day, and he said, you know, you're right. Every time you go into Iceland, the freezer place, he said the staff are very happy and jolly. And they are, because it's their business. Because the more customers that come in there, nobody wants a reputation of being Little Miss Misery, do they? You want to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. And if people are happy, then that reflects. So they all sit there, and they sit there on the, on the till, and they look happy. Which is fantastic. You know, everybody's happy. I'm very happy. I don't have a bad day, actually. I don't... The only, I'm trying to think what would, be, what would be the equivalent of a bad day for me. And I can't think of it, actually. A day... I don't know, actually. I don't, I'm trying to think. What would, be, what would be something that would give me a bad day? An interview cancelling. That's about as bad as it gets, I'm afraid. I can't think of anything else that would actually... Buying new talent? No, I think it'd be a bad day. No, every day's a good day. Must be a bit embarrassing, really, for, for, for people who don't have good days. You know, they have miserable days. Whereas I never have miserable days. It's not physically possible. I speak to the bank manager every day. She phones me and she says, uh, I always check every day. I say, right, how much money can we spend today? And I like that. I, I don't go shopping every day. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't push a wheelbarrow around with my wages in it. Not far off it. Uh, but <laughs> I like the idea of shopping. But some, I'm a better browser now than I was before. I've now got to think about something carefully. The producer's moving into a, a new place up at Clap, Clapham Common, just around a pub that he frequents on a fairly regular basis. So that'll be so useful. I mean, very shortly, he will know the entire population of Clapham, or as we prefer to call it, Clam, because it's quite posh. Do you know what's underneath Clapham Common? Do you know what's underneath? I bet you don't know, do you? I bet you don't know. Underneath Clapham Common is a huge air raid shelter. It could, it could house thousands of people. At one part of the common, there is a, you'll see that there's a door cut into the common. They now use it for storing cars. But it was... It, seriously? Yeah, it's true. But, it, but during the war, people were evacuated underneath the common. 
And then other things went on above ground. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, it was always been a very popular place, Clam. Very nice. So he's, he's delighted to be moving in. So now I'll have to buy him a housewarming present. Hopeless, isn't it? What to buy him for a housewarming present? Bottle of vodka generally does the trick, doesn't it? <laughs> Drink yourself into oblivion. Uh, hope you are well, says Noreen. Well, well uh, sadly not. She said, yesterday you asked if anybody would be mad enough to go to Blackpool. She says, we're going by train tomorrow from Watford Junction. 6.20. This is, the, uh, is this tomorrow or, or today? Because, ironically, we're talking on In Conversation with Stephen Tomkinson about Blackpool. He grew up in St Anne's. So Paul knows all about St Anne's. It's the posh bit. I said, how lovely. He said, when we, when we were kids, and Noreen probably knows the same, you get taken to the seaside and it's a treat. It's a treat to go in the penny arcades. It's a treat to go on the beach. But if you live there... You've got that every day. My ultimate ambition, well, one of my ambitions would be to have uh, a, a cafe on the seafront. Uh, not not necessarily Blackpool, <laughs> somewhere, I don't know, Hove or something like that, which just serve fish and chips and burger and chips and chicken and chips and things like that and cups of tea. And people could just sit there and stare out to sea. I quite like that idea. She says, hopefully the forecast will be correct and it will be nice. I think it is. I can almost confidently pre- predict, Noreen, that you will have nice weather. Uh, happy birthday from their friends for Sunday for Winnie. You've met her several times, lights, etc. Big birthday. Oh, what, 40? bit like me. And Michelle's lovely little girl, Louisa. She reaches double figures on Sunday. Yes, I'm, I'm probably going to achieve double figures, I should imagine, with, uh, with eating. Lunchtime today. I've tried to pace myself and then dinner this evening. I'm quite looking forward to both, actually. In fact, I'm very much looking forward to both. Do you remember that story that Rupert Bartier brought you on the news about the trenches which they've just discovered in Gosport in Hampshire. Now, I love stuff like this. And I said to him, I said, how did they find them? Well, they were looking at an aerial photograph and they suddenly realised that they're all overgrown, forgotten. And what it was, it was a practice battlefield for soldiers heading to the front line in the First World War. What, What they've got, I mean, the site... Is about the size of 17 football pitches. It's got two sets of opposing trench systems, each with 660-foot frontline supply trenches dug out with a no-man's land in between the two sides. It was discovered by a conservation officer. He was looking for something else. He says, I was looking for Second World War pillboxes and features associated with an airfield nearby. And I came across this 1951 plan in the office of the area. And he says, I couldn't believe it. He said, it's quite jaw-dropping. We're talking about 1,640 feet by 500 metres. He said, it's quite unique, quite unique, because we are at a time when we had our eyes on the Western Front, and that will continue to be the case, and rightly so, almost forgetting that on the home front out there, there were tens of thousands of men coming through sites like this, training, ready to go straight out. You're only 48 hours from the trenches, if not less. Mr Snow, who's president of the Council for British Archaeology, says, what strikes me about this, to be honest, is the scale of it. I never thought I would see anything this large in the UK. To have the enemy in front lines, to have second lines, communication trenches, it's an entire replica World War I battlefield. No records exist about it. Ministry of Defence archaeologist Richard Osgood, supported by David Hopkins, is now surveying the site. He says it's well known that troops were stationed at Browndown Camp. But in fact... Uh, to date, no historical records have emerged noticing the practice trenches. I wouldn't have even thought that they would have practice trenches. But it was such an interesting story that I was glad that Rupert uh, put it into the news for you this morning. Uh, John Warrington is up. 
He says it's like old times up at 4.30 on a Friday. Off to Florence for the weekend. Off to Florence. What, not Zebedee and Dougal as well? Florence, how lovely. Florence is very pretty, isn't it? Very, I bet that's expensive, John. John and I, and our mutual friend, are off to... Uh, where are we? I forgot where we're going to, actually, now. I had to check my passport was up to date. Are we going to Belgium? We're going to Belgium for the day. Um, and so we, we already got the times of the train. John was sorting it out yesterday. And a friend of mine phoned me and says, you do have your passport. So I immediately went into a major panic and had a, and had a check. And so we're off to Brussels in May, which is very nice indeed. And I've, I've checked with my passport. It's OK. The passport is... Oh, I'm just looking at the pictures on the news of this site now, of the, of the opposing trench. Oh, how fantastic. See, this is what I call, this is homegrown archaeology. This is something quite fantastic. I mean, who'd have thought that they actually rehearsed the battle? And they've got loads of people all over the sites now and all these trenches. And now there's like a little army. There's like a little army over there. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Love stuff like that. Absolutely love it. So that's, uh, so that's good news. You'll be, you'll be looking at these images later on the television today. I think Dan Snow is over there because he's an expert on this kind of thing. But to find it and only see it from um, an aerial photograph from 1951 is even more exciting. All overgrown, but I reckon they, they could clear it. I don't know who owns it. Could be MOD. John says, I'm glad, glad your passport is up to date. Yeah, you and me together. It goes to 2022. It'd be nothing worse than getting down there and all of a sudden discovering that your your passport's not up to date. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you had uh, a bad day, says my friend Michael. Oh, well, I've conveniently forgotten about that one. He said you'd had your new car for two days. Okay, so I've got I've got I've got my new Bentley, and we're. Dr- <laughs> Michael said, "Let's go down the road to." I can't remember why I persuaded him to. Anyway, we were going to go and have a cup of tea at Cyan Park Garden Centre. So we're sitting in the car, and we get stuck in traffic. And we're at a standstill, and a car hits me at the back. Well, it was a bad day. Michael had to sort of take the phone off me. I was shaking so much. And so he says, you, uh, he said, we, we, when we were stuck in the traffic, somebody ploughed into the back of you. I remember, and then the bloke said it was my fault. He said it was my fault. I said, don't be silly. You went into the back of me. If anybody goes into the back of you, it's their fault because they're buffoons. And this man was a complete buffoon. I mean, luckily, there was no... Uh, there was no real damage, but I was making out it was it was worse than Armageddon. So you're right. That was the bad day, wasn't it? That was the bad day. But compared to other people's days, you know, when people actually get up, Mike, and they sort of go, oh, I don't want to get up today, I feel ill and all that kind of thing. I don't have those sort of days. I like getting up for every day, especially on a Friday, especially when I can go home on the train and then come back into town, have a nice lunch and then go back home and then go out for another day this evening. I am going to be so big. I'm going to be so big. But I don't care. I don't care today because it's uh, because it's Friday and Friday is always a good day. I can tell you now it's quarter to five. This is LBC. 13 minutes to uh, five. I'm the original Steve the Milkman from Muswell Hill. I drive an electric vehicle and wear digital headphones on my round so I never miss, miss a moment of the show. Thank you. The original Steve the Milkman from Muswell Hill. <laughs> oh, dear. Actually, wasn't it funny? You're never going to find a milkman called Norman, are you? They don't seem to exist. They're either Steve's or Kevin's or something like that. Malcolm says, a bad day for you, Steve, would be if you were to be asked to switch on the illuminations in Blackpool. <laughs> That'd be good. And, uh, and Dorman Dorm in Basingstoke. It's 52 today. Woo! 
52A. God, if only I knew somebody that old. Oh, I do now. It's Dorman Don. Uh, Nicholas says, a bad day for you would be the day they booked an in-conversation with Gemma Collins. Yes, that would be very funny. And that probably would be a bad day. But the good news is that I vet every single guest. What they do at the beginning of the week, Lucy will phone me and... um, and she will sort of say, right, this is who I've, I've got a list of. And she'll read me a list of names. And I'll go, yes, yes, no, yes, definitely not. Yes, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, eight for eight five. Oh, oh, she's up. Actually, strangely enough, Carol Decker, we were talking about you the other day. Because you know why we were talking about you? Well, you know, don't you? Because it was Eurovision. And then I turn on the television and there's a, a piece with you on the television again. So I thought, oh, it's our Carol Decker again. I mean, you know, the song that sort of pays the rent, China in your hands, you know, that's that's the one for you. She's going to do the papers at Sky, bless your heart. Give our love to Eamon. I don't think he'll thank you for that bit. <laughs> he never does. Although I'm reliably informed he does listen to the programme. So that's good. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Have a nice time at the papers, I'm sure you will. There's, there's not, I mean... You know, to be honest with you, if you look at the, the front page of the mirror, the Jagerbomb story, that's an old one because she's she's in recovery now. So it's, it's you think she's going to on her last legs. Uh, the Daily Star have got Max Clifford on the front page, as have The Sun, Max Clifford. Uh, the Daily Express are running with a story with Dawn French, the return of the Vicar of Dibley. Brilliant in that very famous village where they filmed Went the Day Well. There's a film you'd like. There's a film you'd like, Carol. Uh, The Daily Mail are talking about Stephen Lawrence on the front page. The lies, the spies, the cover-ups, the corruption, the extent of Stephen's betrayal by the police. The Daily Telegraph, uh, Stephen Lawrence's mother, is on the front page. 21 years of struggle, and there's still more to come out. So uh, she's been the victim of two decades of corruption. It's unbelievable. I mean, she was struggling to hold it together yesterday on the television. I find it amazing that it's 21 years on. I don't know if anybody else finds it as amazing as I do. Uh, Ross says, my home milkman is called Norman. Stop it. (laughs) I don't believe a word of it. Uh, Bruges is nice for a weekend, says Mary. On the way home, spent a few hours at Brussels train station drinking Bombay sapphires. Oh, right. Oh, no idea what that is, but it sounds... Wait a minute, a Bombay Sapphire. Is this an, an attra- Is this a, um, um, a bluey-coloured drink? And it comes in a posh-looking bottle. It's gin. Is it blue? It's in a blue glass. I thought so. For some reason, Bombay Sapphire kind of, kind of rung a bell with me. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for that one, which is nice. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And... Uh, what else are we going to do, actually? Um, oh, yes, on the front page, the, the front page of the Daily Star, they've got uh, real-life horror stories. But they've got uh, more on Max Clifford inside. And Simon Cowell thinks he's such a good dad, he wants at least two more kids. Lily Allen wants to be Prime Minister. No chance. And Gordon Ramsay is being paid £300,000 for a third series of his US TV show. I love it. It's got huge ratings in, in America. And as you know, we love Gordon Ramsay. Absolutely love Gordon Ramsay. Uh, right, let's bring you the gadget competition for today. Because yesterday, it was Jacqueline Ingalls from Epsom. Morning, Jacqueline, who correctly identified Crocodile Rock was an Elton John song. And uh, won a fabulous iPad Mini with uh, the, the Retina 
identification. Today, I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly, you could get your hands on an Asus VivoBook laptop. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, producer went, yeah, big thumbs up on that one. The Asus VivoBook laptop. Not only is this a compact machine with big features, touch screen, touch screen, comes with Windows 8. Perfect for work or play. And if you don't want it, you can always sell it. Or failing that, you can, uh, you can hang on to it for yourself and be very selfish. I would hang on to it, to be honest with you. The Asus VivoBook laptop. One lucky person will win it. It's the X200. And it's touchscreen, which, as far as I'm concerned, is an absolute godsend. And the question is this for today. Which popular recording artist released My Heart Will Go On in 1997? Carol Decker, you cannot go in for this competition. Which popular recording artist released My Heart Will Go On in 1997? To enter this competition, you text the word gadget, followed by your answer, and send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning. So... Which popular recording artist released My Heart Will Go On in 1997? Gadget is the word which triggers the machine. And then your answer, and you send it to 84850. Got to reach us by 6.30. Don't send it at 6.30, because the text costs £1.50 plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. It's a lovely prize. I like the idea of it being touchscreen. I think that's absolutely, you know, it's, it's, it's the gadget for today, for the weekend. Chris says, I hope Stephen's going to talk about Drop the Dead Donkey. Do you know, we don't. Even though I bought the box set a few months ago, and I, I, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. But no, we don't talk about Drop, Drop the Dead Donkey. We talk about everything else, but we talk actually strangely, and I know that his, uh, his widow will be listening, Ken Goodwin, because he worked with Ken Goodwin literally after he'd walked out of drama school. Back in 88, yeah, I think he worked with Freddie Parrotface Davis and Ken Goodwin. And you know that I, I talked about Ken Goodwin on the show and I met his, his lovely wife, one of those lovely Lady Rattlings dudes, and she said, thank you for talking about him. I said, I loved it. She said, hello. <laughs> he used to laugh. In fact, when you watch him on YouTube, it just makes you laugh as well. He had one of those little faces, bless his heart. So absolutely brilliant, but uh, sadly passed away a short while ago. Uh, I think actually dementia... I think he'd, he'd got dementia at the end. I seem to be knowing. They did say, didn't they, a while ago, they said very shortly in this country, we're going to be hearing or knowing of more and more people with dementia, which is, uh, which is shame. Uh, uh, Jane Russell, who refused to talk, says, no, 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 it was definitely Betty Davis. I was there. I was there. He says, uh, you can't remember everything. No, I absolutely remember it was Betty Davis because I remember the wig because I was there. I was actually in the building. You know, and that was it. That was it. I'm never wrong. It's, it's embarrassing, I know, but, you know, there you go. The mind has not failed me just yet. Uh, Chris says, the guy who had the milk round before me was called Norman. OK, let's... let's find anybody called Trevor doing, doing milk? Can we, can we find somebody called Trevor? That'd be quite funny, wouldn't it? Trevor the milkman. That doesn't kind of follow at all, does it, really? Let's have a quick look at the, uh, at the Express. Fed-up savers taking to the streets to demand action to protect pensioners from the impact of five years of record low interest rates. And because it's... And this is the bit I don't like about crufts, I'm afraid. It's people dressing their dogs up in onesies and stuff like that. They've got fur on them. They've got fur on them. They keep... Walk. Why people dress them up? As far as I'm concerned, this is animal cruelty. There's a picture here of a Finnish laphand lap hand, in the comfort of a onesie. It's nothing short of cruelty. 
to dress animals up in coats. They're, they're dogs. They've got, they don't want to, listen, so it just restricts all their fur. They can probably barely breathe. There's one here, it's, this is a, a Briard in booties and a waterproof. It's outrageous. Three Italian greyhounds in colour-coordinated coats. What for? A beautifully sunny day and you stick them in a onesie? These people are off their bloody trolleys. An old English sheepdog wearing red booties. They're not humans, they're dogs. Dear me, absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, we, uh, we like the story in the paper today of Britons stuffing their home with £32 billion worth of junk. You see, I don't consider it junk. All of mine are prized possessions. Somebody said to me a while ago, why don't you, um, why don't you sort of get rid of all your DVDs? I said, well, get them for. I paid for them. Why would you want to get rid of them? I said, well, once you watch them, you don't want to watch them again. I said, it's part of a collection. It's like saying, you know, I've got clothes in the wardrobe. And they say, well, you wore them once, they give them away. What for? You know, it doesn't doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. So I like keeping all my stuff. Everything I've I've bought, I absolutely love. And especially DVDs. I bought six yesterday. Well, six arrived here yesterday. Part of the National Geographic, where they were looking at... They've got some great videos, National Geographic. Just type it in on Amazon. And they've got great stuff. Some of their great discoveries. They take you around Machu Picchu. They talk about... That was one of my big dreams years ago, to go either to the Titanic to spend thirty or £40,000 going down to the Titanic, or failing that, going to Machu Picchu. I quite fancy that idea. I think that would be... But I, I think out of all of them, the, the Titanic one would have to win. The excitement of literally going down in that little, that little bubble thing, and then you get halfway down, and it takes a while, because it's two miles down, as you know, resting on the ocean floor, falling apart, poor thing. And then all of a sudden they put these big arc lights on and there it is, the Titanic in front. I mean, to be honest with you, you feel like opening the window and going out because you feel you know the ship so well. And, uh, and it does probably, to some people, look a bit like a film set. And that's why that great film was made, which I think Disney produced, where they go down to the Titanic and they send the little submersible in through the windows and they recreate what the ship looked like back in those early days. The funny thing is they've only ever showed the front of the ship. I want to see the back of it. I want to see the back of the ship, which apparently is about a third of a mile away because of the way they both went down. It sort of cracked as it went down and split in half. But they only ever show you the front bit. Perhaps they haven't found the back bit. Because there were all these vehicles on it. People took their cars across to New York. You might find some of the cabins are better preserved at the back. Or failing that, the back might have collapsed completely. Either way, that would be that would be the dream trip. If I win the lottery tonight, £80 million, £80 million. Even Portie better buy a ticket for that one. £80 million. Would you come back into work again? He says no. (laughs) You might do. You might have to come and tell us exactly how much you'd won. That's the exciting thing, isn't it? £80 tonight. It's mine. Plenty more to come. This uh, Friday morning early breakfast. We look through all the papers, including the £25 car fine paid with penny coins. (sighs) Now, I think there's a law about that. Towie's Joey Essex is bidding to become a rap star. God, give it up now, mate. Kate and Wills, jet off again, minus one royal baby. £9.48 in 1973 is worth what today? 100 quid. We'll tell you about the man whose licence was revoked, along with a £500 fine, for driving through a puddle, splashing a family. And Julie Bendel writes about loathing lesbian chic. They can't stop snogging each other in public. It's apparently all the rage. From LBC, this is Steve Allen, and all of that is up next. Morning, nice to be company. Still to come, a bitter husband blasts a soft sentence after a mother of four is mown down. 
and the uh, the person gets off. I'll tell you about uh, that very shortly. You don't need to put your next uh, your name in for the gadget competition. We have your phone number anyway, so we can find you very quickly. Uh, still to come, this part of the programme. Yes, the puddle splasher. Did you know it's illegal? If they get your number, and of course all town centres have CCTVs now, this particular guy thought he'd gotten away with it. He thought it was hilarious. Ha ha ha. Splash the mother. No, they've taken his licence away and fined him £500. Brilliant. Brilliant. Can't wait. Very shortly we'll have the stocks back, won't we, on a Saturday night. It only gets better between now and six. Uh, one here from Anna. Have you been to a Lady Rattlings event? Have, have I ever? I think I've been to many, many. I've taken uh, Barbara twice. Three times now, I think. Three times. Could be four times. Certainly a lot of times. Certainly a lot of times. Uh, another one here that says... Uh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yes, it was uh, like you, says Kevin, the original Milkman. We're now getting confused with Milkman's names this morning. He said, my round is a joy to do. The first 100 calls are in the city in the West End. The other 200 are in Brick Lane, Shoreditch and Hoxton, where all the young trendies are. He says, I'm the token old person. They're a way of helping the aged. I do the same midnight to midday hours that Kent Kevin does. And yes, we have a Trevor the Milkman delivering in Bow. I'm now going to come up with most unusual names to see if we can find a, a Milkman this morning who's got an unusual name. Steve the Milkman says, I used to work with Trevor the Milkman. He is, in fact, Emma Bunton's father. He doesn't do it anymore, which is good. Malcolm says, did you see the woman on Thursday's daybreak? £10,000 on clothes and jewels for a dog. What a fool. What a fool. And Claire is looking forward to the Vikings exhibition at the British Museum on Sunday. Um, the weather is still going to be gorgeous. And Bev says, do you really think everybody loves Gordon Ramsay? No, I didn't say that. I said, I love Gordon Ramsay. I couldn't care less what everybody else thinks. I'm not bothered. But obviously the television companies think he do. He he, he does. He is loved by people because they've just spent 300000 on him again. That's, a, that's an indication. That's an indication of just how, how good somebody is. Because if, cause if they don't like you, then they're not going to give you another, another contract, are they? So they give him a huge contract. It's like here, you know, if people didn't listen to the programme, would be much point to being here. We'd all be sort of sitting outside, I'd probably drink milk or something like that, you know. I think Poddy next door would be doing sort of pole dancing or something like that, which I have no doubt in my mind he has attempted at some point after a few, after a few vodkas. Because <laughs> that's the thing, isn't it? Because everything hinges on ratings. And on, on a radio, it's exactly the same as on television. So, for example... If ITV run a, a programme like Christine, how are you, Bleakley, and, and it doesn't rate, they're not going to recommission it again. Why would, you, why would you stick with something? That's why I can't understand how the one show seeps, keeps coming back. It's just so abysmally awful. It's so dreadful. And the only way is Essex is awful. But if, if it keeps getting figures, then, then they, will, they will keep, you know, keep putting it on the television. The day you don't get the figures, the day you don't get the audience, is, is the day they don't renew the contract. But I have a new contract, so <laughs> I'm very excited, very excited, always very excited, actually, by new, new contracts. We always have these contract negotiations. You probably have them in your job as well, you know, where you sit down and the boss looks at you. And, and if, if he smiles to start with, you've got a rough idea that you're OK, you're on a bit of a promise. And, and they sort of, because I hate it when they go around the houses, but if, if they start the conversation with, there's no easy way to tell you, that's when you start panicking. You know, I'm, I always I always worry about things like that. But I mean, to be quite honest, it's I haven't actually worried really for about thirty five years. <laughs> you know, you think by now I'd have got over it. But I was speaking to a friend of mine in the same business, and he said you always worry about one day whether or not you're going to be found out. 
and somebody will go, yeah, really not. But as long as you keep doing the numbers, and that's, that's, that's what counts nowadays, it's whether or not you pull an audience, it's whether or not the bosses listen and they go, do you know, that's, I mean, I was yesterday, twice, twice, I was in, I was in the reception, I was waiting, and as you know, we had called Clegg in. And he, he comes with a, quite a few people. There's security and there's other people. And there was a very tall gentleman with very dark hair. Very, I thought he looked about 18. But, I mean, he obviously can't be. He's got a seven-year-old daughter. He didn't look old enough to have a seven-year-old daughter. Anyway, I was sort of standing there and I sort of went, went through the door. I was in reception, came through the door. And, um, and he said, who's, who's the boy band out there? And it was Union J. They were in there to, because they hadn't, I don't think Union, was it Union? No, Union J were in here to do something over at the M&M's place. And so they were over there, and he said, he said, I'd, I'd phoned my seven-year-old daughter to ask her who, who Union J are. He said, and she didn't know. I said, well, she's seven. Perhaps if she was 12, then she might have known. Anyway, so he, was, he just said, I have to tell you, Steve. I thought, oh, God, he knows my name. I didn't even know who he was. No idea. But he was with, he was with Clegg, so I thought, that's good enough for me. And he said, uh, listen to your programme, love it. I said, thank you. There's nothing else you can say apart from... If somebody says, I like your programme, that's, that's quite nice. And then blow me down. Then somebody else is standing by the lift holding a pair of shoes. And, and uh, I, was, I was chatting away to this other guy. And then he sort of walked up to go and catch up with Mr Clegg in the studio. And, uh, and this other guy stands there and he said, um, he said I, I love your show. He said, I listen to your show every morning at 4.30. <laughs> oh, no. It, began, it then becomes a bit like stalking. You know, it then becomes a little bit like... It, it's very nice when people say, I love, I love the show and I listen to the show. Because I get lots of market traders, lots of cab drivers. I get certainly milkmen this morning. We've got an overdose of milkmen. And now I know people in government as well. And this man, yesterday, is the driver for one of our big bosses here. And I'm thinking, oh, God, there's a bit of a worry, which means that if he's driving him and he's listening to the radio, the big boss is listening. Well, actually, the big boss listens to the radio all the time. So, so that's quite good. So I was quite pleased. I'm always delighted when I bump into people who listen to the programme. And it's mainly people who work on radio stations. <laughs> uh, Kelly says, insomnia improves your math skills. You spend all night calculating how much sleep you get if you fall asleep right now. I, I, I feel so sorry for people who suffer from insomnia. I don't. In fact, one of my drivers said the other day, it was very sweet, he said, I hope you don't mind me asking. So I'm not being rude. He said, I thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> you know, you never know what somebody's going to ask you. And he said, what time do you go to bed? <laughs> I thought, that's a fairly easy question. I said, well, most nights, most nights I'm in bed by 7, 7.30. I have to be because I wake up now at about 1, 1.30, which I, I like to have enough time to get ready. And, as you know, when I climb into bed, I'm zonked. I'm out within seconds. You, I mean, there could be a fire raging through and I wouldn't hear anything. I would be burnt to the crisp. I would be the Joan of Arc of Twickenham. And, uh, and he said, is that all the time? I said, no. I said, sometimes I've made it to eight o'clock. But believe you me, I'm struggling a lot by eight o'clock. And I've spoken to people before who really, really suffer with this sleep deprivation. They cannot get to sleep. In fact, my, my godson doesn't get to sleep till the early hours of the morning. My friend Michael, one of my hairdressers, I call him that to keep him on his toes. I mean, he has his own reasons for staying up till the early hours of the morning. And, and other people do. And I always say that if, if you drink heavily, or if you smoke, or if you're overweight, it's probably a bit difficult to get to sleep. But once you've started watching the television, and once you've started listening to the radio, your brain clicks into gear, especially listening to the radio, because you think, I'll, I'll keep listening to that. And before you know what, it's not like playing a piece of music where you know a piece of music is going to last three minutes or four minutes. 
unless it's on one of our sister stations, in which case you'd be 15. And so, so you listen to the radio, and if you're listening to somebody talking all the time, and if you find it even reasonably entertaining, you stick with it. And before you know where you are, it's like being in Las Vegas. The time has gone like that. That's why Vegas has no clocks. Who wants to know you've been standing there for four hours in front of a fruit machine, which doesn't know you from Adam? But as long as you keep putting money into it, it's fairly happy. And that's why radio works in the early hours of the morning. That's why LBC gets these fantastic audience figures. Because speech radio, unlike, I appreciate the fact that not everybody wants speech radio. But I think once people have listened to it, then they actually get hooked on it. And as many of our milkmen have said this morning, I think we have a lot of... I just love the sound, milkmen. I just, I just wish that milk crates were still metal and the milk bottles were still glass, as opposed to everything's plastic nowadays. I wish it was the old days when you could drive down and there was that noise of the electric milk float where they put it into gear and off it went. And then they'd stop and the, the milk bottles would rattle at the back. I'd, I miss those days because now there's so much noise and a cacophony going on out there. Can't hear yourself think half the time. Here is this story. I mean, you might think, as I do, that the judge has gone barking mad. This is a husband grieving because yesterday a judge issued what he said was a licence to kill after he allowed a businessman who mowed down the mother of his four children to walk free from court. Paul Davis compared Balbinder Dillon's punishment for killing his wife Donna as being given a ticket to Disneyland. And there's a picture of Balbinder Dillon with a big smile on his face. You feel like wiping it off, don't you? Uh, he accused the judge of being more concerned with the suffering of the driver's family than the victim. And it does appear that way. Dillon drove his Audi into Donna as she walked her young daughter home from a dance class in April last year. He's a former letting agent who'd smoked cannabis and taken sleeping tablets in the run-up. He claimed he'd blacked out at the wheel. He did face 14 years jail after admitting causing death by dangerous driving. But he escaped... This is where our courts are completely barking mad. He escaped with a suspended sentence after a judge heard he was stressed over family illnesses and that his two young children relied on him. A decision last night branded an insult by road safety campaigners. I mean, really, you're just, it's just appalling. You know, they get people to stand up and say, any old codswallop in court nowadays. So, in other words, because of family illnesses, irrespective of the fact he mowed down and killed this mother of four, I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely appalling. And the husband says, I thought the judge was going to send the driver to prison. But uh, no, he sent him to Disneyland. It was, I mean, it is, if, if that was you, put yourself in that situation, you sometimes wonder whether or not judges are so horribly out of touch with people. There was somebody the other day, um, oh, it was that uh, ex-GM TV reporter, she did showbiz or something, and she fiddled like £76,000. But he let her off going to prison because apparently she's got epilepsy. Although people around her said, you know, well, we've never actually seen her have an epileptic fit, but she used to manage to get off shifts. And you'd think, she fiddled £76,000. You know, I don't, I don't see how these things work, I'm afraid. I just, I just don't. I, I feel terribly sorry for this family and terribly sorry for, for Paul Davis because he must feel, as indeed many of you probably do as well, that he's been so badly let down by the system and some toe rag who mowed his wife down is happily, you know, off with his kids and all the rest of it. Yeah, happy days. Not for me, I'm afraid. Not for me. Uh, coming up, there's no chance of Frank Skinner on Strictly. LBC News time, 5.50... <laughs> Nick Ferrari this morning, as the Home Secretary orders an inquiry into undercover policing, Nick will be asking, how can we trust the police now? Plus, he'll be talking to a woman battling to keep her dead husband's sperm about the latest twists in the case. And an LBC exclusive on how much you will soon have to earn 
to live here in the capital. Looking at the papers today, Christina Patterson, a broadcaster and journalist, will be looking through the paper. We, we go through the papers as well for you. It's very interesting, Richard Littlejohn is talking today about the great-grandmother. This was the one we featured on the in the papers the other day, who it took ten firemen two PCSOs and an RSPCA inspector because her cockatiel had got out and was sitting up a tree. And I said, it's a bird, it's up a tree, leave it there for God's sake. But no, £4,000 it cost us. And eventually, she remembered that Georgie, this is the name of her cockatiel, liked her bright pink dressing gown. So she put it on and the bird flew down. Might have helped if this old woman had thought about that in the first place, as opposed to wasting £4,000 of public money, which you and I are paying for, incidentally. Uh, There's only one milkman, says Martin and Jay Patel, and about 300 others. It's Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. You are so right. And Pablo says, the one show is dire. Makes you sorry you own a television. It's quite a good line. I like that. It It is dire. It is so fake. It is so false. It is so awful, I'm afraid. You know, much as though I, I love... Some of the presenters on it. I don't like all of them, I'm afraid. Uh, it was your show, says Liam, and your show alone that got me listening to LBC. I heard you by mistake. It's nice, isn't it? I like to be known as a mistake. And I've been hooked ever since. Thank you. And uh, Cece says, I'm 37 weeks pregnant. She comes from Dundee, so she's got no idea how that happened. Not a clue. Not a clue. The fur- further up the country you get, not I'm pregnant. How? When? How? When? How, who, how did that? Anyway, she says, and without fail, I wake up at 4am just in time to hear you on the radio. Every other radio presenter sends me to sleep. Well, I don't believe that's possible, but uh, I think you're very funny. Yes, I'm hoping that's funny, ha-ha, she says. That, but the topics are very interesting, which is, which is what we do. Uh, tip to, to sleep, Steve. Make a compilation of Big Brother, Geordie Shaw, Towie and Peter Andre. You drop off in no time. Yes, you are, you are probably right, actually. <laughs> oh, Glasgow at uh, Badawi, the A879 Balmore Road. It's closed between Blackhill Road and Scarcer Street because of flooding. I didn't think I could pronounce any of those names. They're probably completely wrong, but I, I've, I've done the best, actually. Jason says, don't forget your many bailiff listeners, as it's soothing listening to a decent conversation, in opposed to a, as opposed to an argumentative defendant. That's what they do. They go out there. Jay- you see, you'd have to be if you're a bailiff. You've got to be called Jason because I can describe what Jason looks like. He's a big, thick-set bloke. He could work as a bouncer, and uh, and I should imagine he's bald as well, because I, I don't know many many bouncers or bailiffs. Oh, was my process good? Oh, was it good? Oh, right. Oh, blimey. Oh, it was from Andy. Well, he knows that at the travel, doesn't he? I thought I was going to get it all wrong. I don't, I don't like to read out some roads in case, you know, people write in and go, you've completely got that wrong, Steve. So, that was okay, was it? Oh, well, I've done quite well. I've done the gadget thing by myself, and I've got, I got that right, and I've done the, the roads in, in Glasgow. Bardowie, A87. Look at me, honestly. I tell you, I'll be working till I, on my dying day, I hope. Anyway, the LBC Gadget giveaway. If you've just woken up this morning, uh, yesterday, Jacqueline Ingalls from Epsom. Love the name Ingalls. Correctly identified. Crocodile Rock was the Elton John song. And uh, got the fabulous iPad Mini with the Retina identification, which is lovely. Today, you can get your hands on, for the Friday, here's the, here's the one for the weekend for you, an Asus VivoBook laptop. This one is touch screen, and it comes with Windows 8. Perfect. Perfect full stop for work or play. Could be yours at 6.30 this morning, which is when the competition finishes. So we've got an hour and about five minutes. So you need to know the answer to this question, and then you need to send it to the right place. Okay? Which popular recording artist released My Heart Will Go On in 1997? Which popular recording artist released My Heart Will Go On in 1997? To enter, text the word gadget... 
then your answer, and you send that to 84850. It's very important you have the word gadget, very important you have the correct answer, and then you send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning. That bit is also important, as I shall now explain. Text costs £1.50, plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network, full terms and conditions online at lbc.co.uk. Good luck. It's a, it's a really, really nice prize. Steve, I'm listening to you from Argentina. Well, don't cry for me. And, uh, oh God, honestly, sometimes it's a gift, this programme. I love the idea, and I can't help feeling I was somewhat responsible for the Vicar of Dibley coming back. When we spoke to Dawn French a while ago, we had a really, really nice chat uh, about her mum and just about her. And she's, she's very, she was very giving, very giving on that day. And we were talking about the Vicar of Dibley, because as far as I was concerned, I thought it was just, it's what I call a good, safe comedy, nicely written, lots of nice characters, and they could bring it back. Unfortunately, we lost Trigger. So that would be the one person missing. And there's probably a couple of others gone since we last spoke about it. But I would love to see the Vicar of Dibley coming back. And they are talking about it. Um, it's going to be a, a series... Not on the television, unfortunately. It's going to be on the radio. And so it's part of a study of fictional characters. Do you know it ran from 94 to 2007, Vicar of Dibley? I thought I had the box set, but I turned out the other day I hadn't. Unless I had it, and I've given it away. Because I sometimes do that to people. I, I, I watch something and I say, oh, I've got that. Like Max Boyce. My oh, God, there's going to be so many Welsh people in Twickenham over this weekend for the rugby. 88,000. The flags are up. We've got all the uh, the flags. The, the dragon is up there flying, which is lovely. What how many be left after we've had the game? Depending on who wins. I mean, I have to. I'm, I'm supposed to support England, but to be honest with you, I love everything about Wales so much. I felt I could have lived in a coracle. I don't know why. I'm just one of those sort of. And something about it, you know. I'm, I'm very jealous of people who come from Ireland, or very jealous of people who come from Wales, or people who come from Scotland, because you've got an identity. You have an identity, which means that, you know, in, in Wales, you know, people do spill, still speak Welsh. I don't know, is there a language that they speak in Scotland? I mean, apart from Ochai the New, that's not really... I don't think there is Gaelic. So I don't think many people speak it, whereas if you go to Welsh, if you go to Wales, you will hear a lot of people speaking Welsh. As the same in Ireland, you'll find a lot of people speaking Irish, won't you? Is it, is it called Irish? Is it? Yeah, it is, thank you. Irish or Gaelic as well. Ooh, you get around with those Gaelics, don't you? But uh, I've, I've always thought that must be lovely to have that identity. You know, if, if you're kind of British like me, you're a, bit, you're a bit naff and boring. We don't really have anything to fall back on. You know, unless it's sort of raping and pillaging when we came over with the Vikings. I'm not too sure. I think I was Scandinavian. I'd like to think that I was Scandinavian, although some sort of Scandinavian origins. One of my uncles, sadly not with us, or my aunt now, uh, started doing the family tree. And I, I, I can't remember where he got to. I might have to check out with my brother a bit later on because he's organising a day out for me for my birthday. I've got all these days out organised for my birthday. It's quite exciting, really. I like the idea of reaching 40. Stop it. It's uh, Because it's, you know, you, you can sort of go out there and celebrate things. Uh, the back bit of the Titanic. Now, I knew John would know this. He's our Titanic expert. He knows everything about the Titanic. And he says, back bit, tut tut, the stern... It's completely unrecognisable. This is where all the air built up during the final death throes of the ship. As the air escaped under extreme pressure, whilst the stern descended, it ripped open the metal. And by the time the stern came to rest on the ocean floor, it was just a mass of peeled back metal. He says, when you, when you go down to visit the Titanic, I'll do it with you to give you a running commentary. Wouldn't that be just wonderful to do? You know, if you had enough money... 
And I'm led to believe, John, it's about 30 grand they will take you down to the Titanic. Worth every penny. I mean, there are certain things that money can't buy. I have no interest in going into space at all. Do you want to go to space? Oh, I see. I always worry about things like that. I mean, I just sort of think, no. I've seen, I mean, have you seen Gravity yet? Makes you feel very queasy, I promise you. There's lots of people rolling out, and apparently a lot of ladies are not, not too well. Don't go if you're pregnant, apparently, because it might sort of bring on a, a case of nausea, uh, nauseousness. But, uh, but I've always wanted to go down to the Titanic. For some reason, it's the fascinating story of the ship that they said would never sink, and it's the fact it's still down there, and it's the fact that it's falling apart, and the fact that I've seen it, and I've watched the film, but I'm more interested in the, in the proper documentary, as John knows, of it, and I've seen the exhibition in Vegas. I've seen the big bit. And if you don't know what it is, it's a it's a piece of the Titanic, complete with portholes that they've got in Las Vegas, and it's at the Luxor, and they've got China from there. They've got bedding. It's a it's a really great exhibition, and we were lucky enough to get free tickets. In fact, actually, when we went to Vegas last time, we were lucky enough to get free tickets for everything, based on the fact that I work for a London radio station and talk things up. Because if you go to Vegas, you've got to go see the Titanic exhibition. Just for the big bit, it's a huge piece of metal that they brought up part of the side of the ship. When they got it to the top, the line snapped and it went all the way back down again. So they went all the way back down, picked it up, and it's now as part of this touring exhibition. And they've got china and bedding. They give you a card when you go in, and it's a passenger description. It's a passenger description. And you, uh, you look at it, and then at the very end of the exhibition, you can check on a board to find out whether or not your passenger lived or died. Mine died. Typical, isn't it? Absolutely typical. Coming up, the average property price is up by £16,000. LBC News Time. It's 5.30. With the latest headlines, Lisa Aziz. The European Union and America are both describing a move by the... 27 minutes to 6 is the time. Val says, went to my daughter's parents' evening last night. Didn't you dread those as a child? Every parent listening will go, yes, parents. The, the, the children hate it. Only if you're very young can you get away with it. When you're slightly older, you're, oh, I hate it. What is my teacher going to say? I'm never, I was never convinced that the teachers even knew who I was. But anyway, met with the geography teacher who told me their next topic they will study is tourism and the downfall of Blackpool. How funny. I so nearly volunteered to take the lesson on your behalf. And Val says, are you now influencing the national curriculum? If only. We, I mean, we do. It's funny when we do things on the programme. Sometimes you do something. And then blow me down. A few days later, it pops up in the newspapers. And you think, I wonder if that's because we mentioned it on the programme. I don't know. I love the, the news presenter for the Russian Today TV network. She's in the papers today. Why? She resigned live on air. Now, this has only been equalled in this country by Cilla Black quitting ITV live. And nobody knew she was going to do it. She, uh, she quit, um, I think, because she'd had enough. But I think she'd only discussed it with one of her sons. And nobody knew. And she decided in the break she was going to make the announcement. So at the end of the show, she made the announcement that she was quitting the show. I can't remember which show it was she was quitting. I think it might have been Surprise, Surprise. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is the last show, blah, blah, blah. And everybody went, huh? Where did that one come from? That because it was live, she got away with it. Otherwise, if it was recorded, they'd just cut it out. And I, I know exactly how off the cuff it was because I had dinner with Scylla that night. We were all waiting in, in the restaurant. There was about six or seven of us and uh, and Scylla came over and everybody was going oh my god oh my god she resigned live on television so when this this uh, this Russian news presenter it's very rare for a news presenter to actually get involved in the news 
you know, you read the news, but you are supposed to be detached from it. But she says, and the reason she resigned, is that she could not be part of a station that whitewashes the actions of Putin. It's uh, an apparent protest at Moscow's incursion into the Ukraine. Washington-based Liz Wall told viewers of the Russian-funded broadcaster, as a reporter on this network, I face ethical and moral challenges. She told how her grandparents fled to America from Soviet tyranny in Hungary in 1956, adding that her partner is a doctor at a military base and sees every day the price people pay for the US. She said, that's why I personally, I cannot be part of a network funded by the Russian government that whitewashes the actions of Putin. I'm proud to be an American and believe this disseminating of the truth. And that's why after this newscast, I'm resigning. Russia Today responded with a statement accusing Wahl of performing a self-promotional stunt. Don't want to mess with that company, do you, really? You don't want to mess with that company at all. It's a, it's a very brave thing to do. Although it's not the first time I've heard of somebody doing it. I have heard of somebody actually shooting themselves on a programme. Somebody actually shot themselves dead on a, on a news programme on television, presumably because the balance of their mind was uh, disturbed. However, the rumble in Hollywood after the Oscars was after Ellen DeGeneres... Uh, saw the arrival of Liza Minnelli and said, and uh, it's great, we have the, the best Liza Minnelli impersonator I've ever seen. And then, then she added, good job, sir. Of course, the audience laughed because Liza Minnelli, who, uh, what good is selling? I mean, you know, she, she is almost past her sell-by, but she's 67 and she's still Liza Minnelli. You see, I, d- I don't have a problem with that. But I think she's had so much work done. She did, she did look as though she was in car crash television. And when Ellen DeGeneres made this comment, uh, people laughed. But there were some people who didn't laugh. And, uh, I mean, she's gay, Ellen DeGeneres. She's been out for goodness knows how many years now. But uh, she's been branded transphobic and disrespectful. But the one thing you will notice with the Americans, and especially in the in the film capital, is that they have no sense of humour whatsoever. They really don't. They've almost had a humour bypass. You remember at the Super Bowl when some poor girl, and I forget which one, was it was it Janet Jackson, her little bra fell down exposing a bit of a breast. And, well, the whole country went into meltdown. You'd have seriously thought that she was advocating, you know, hellfire and brimstone and sort of, you know, taking babies and eating them, as opposed to just a a malfunction of an outfit. A malfunction of an outfit. But they go into meltdown over those sort of things. So those who have criticised Ellen DeGeneres, I say, just get a life. It was a bit of fun. All right, so it was poked at Liza Minnelli's expense. But, I mean, you know, she's up for a laugh. For goodness sake, she married David Guest. Don't get a bigger joke than that, do you? A man who looks like he's got half a shredded wheat stuck on his head. You know, an oddball, if ever there was one. This coming Sunday, in conversation, every week, two celebrities come into the studio and we have a conversation. We talk about all sorts of things. My two guests this week are great at conversation. In fact, we haven't had a, we haven't had a dud, as they say, in the business. And so this week, it's Baroness Floella Benjamin. Now, I've known Floella for a long, long time. And so she's going to be one of my guests this week. She came in to talk about her affection for dogs. And this doggy radio, which is running over the Crufts weekend. Now, interestingly enough, having interviewed her many times over the years, you can't fail to recognise her for being one of the first women to present on children's television. So I asked her, how important is that role you play when communicating with kids on the telly? You realise you have a massive responsibility for future generations. And I did everything on that programme with love and with passion and with joy. That's why it worked. Exactly. Because television... 
is, is very easy to, for people to be on television. They think it's easy to do, and children's presenting is the most difficult, because you have to appeal to somebody at a level so that they, they trust you and they understand what you're doing, and that's got to come through the little television. You've got to project that through the cameras. Exactly, and the secret is to feel as if you're speaking to one person, like I'm speaking to you. Yeah. Not millions, but just that one person that you say, Hello, yes. are you all right? Yes, yes. How about being an elephant with me today? Can you do that? Come on. Are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't sure you I had see, to play but, this for like. But it's also yes. when you're doing a, a children's program or any program is mm. to is to give s- breathing space to the person. When I say hello, you wait for them to say hello back. Yes. Bec- and and is the sincerity in the voice as well. The voice is terribly important when you're speaking to children, so they know you're being honest with them, not just wanting to be a star yourself and projecting you you have to project them in how you speak to them and i remember meeting a girl in um, a supermarket once who said to me you're floella benjamin she said well when i was little i knew someone loved me and it was you because the way you spoke to me and i lived in a children's home and nobody loved me but you and i have to Thank you for being you and for being part of my life. Oh, how sad. Can you imagine? Oh, but isn't so, that lovely? That, well, that's the responsibility you have because you don't know who's watching. Yeah. You don't know who needs you. And so you have got to reflect a kind of kindness. You've got to reflect a, a generosity and an inclusivity that makes people feel as if they're being embraced yeah. and give out that affection. And it comes back in abundance. So, such a good conversation with Baroness Floella Benjamin. I just call her Flo because she goes with it and she's been part of people's lives for a long, long time. But also she's been an actress, so she's done her acting jobs. She's talking, incidentally, about Crufts this weekend. They've set up a doggy radio for people who love dogs and there's dog stories and dog plays and anything to do with doggies. Go onto the internet, you can find out all about it. But a really good conversation with Baroness. And she tells a story about why she is uh, Baroness of Beckenham. And that'll be on Sundays in Conversation. The other guest is actor Stephen Tomkinson. We love Stephen Tomkinson. Best known for his role uh, in... Oh, I'll drop the dead donkey, I think it would have to be. But now back as Alan Banks in the series DCI Banks. And I wanted to know if he likes the character. I like him very much. I mean, there are a great series of books that we have to be very grateful to Peter Robinson yeah. for, and he's still writing them. So, yeah. so there was already a, a solid fan base there from the novels. And uh, I think Robert Murphy, who's adapted most of the stories that we've done, does a, a terrific job. And uh, the first thing I did when I, I found out I'd, I'd got the role was fly myself over to meet Peter. He's oh, wow. a Yorkshireman originally, but lives in Canada and very wisely thaws out in uh, in Florida for the, <laughs> you know, at the height of the Canadian winter. Yeah. So I, I, I spent three days with uh, him and his wife, Sheila, in Tampa. Picking oh, lovely. His Tampa's nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Um, just to assure him that I was try- going to try and get as close to the spirit of the character that he created as possible, because yeah. poor old writers, whenever they give away their rights, you know, unlike yes. any other medium, um, it all gets chopped and changed round heck of a lot. It doesn't happen to painters. They don't allow other people to doodle on their canvas no, or, no. or, you know, slice big but bits But you're right. Off. If you're actually a writer, it, it, it reminded me, actually, of Saving Mr Banks with yeah. Thompson. It's the same sort of thing. P.L. Travers went, no, no, she's completely, just completely wrong. Exactly. Completely wrong. And songs? What do yeah. you mean songs? Yes. Songs about what? I mean, if you watch the film... And, and no cartoons. PL, no, I don't want any cartoons. No, yeah. and super... So what is that? And it was, it was so hilarious to watch. But then mm. you're right. If somebody's created a character... You have to go over... I mean, good for you to go over there and meet him. 
What did well, you say? Had you ever met him before? Never met him before? No, never met him before. I, oh, it, it, it was it was just to say, you know, where, where do you done your research and what makes banks different, I suppose. And he, he, Peter said, well, just his ordinariness. Oh, he said that's that's what makes him extraordinary is his ordinariness. <laughs> yeah. I thought, good, I, I can do that. Love him to pieces. Stephen Tompkinson with me this weekend for In Conversation on LBC with Baroness Floella Benjamin. Both, I mean, really, really good conversation. I can't wait for you to hear them on Sunday. If you can't manage to hear them live, it's between 6 and 7 on Sunday morning. Then if you go to lbc.co.uk, you can download, you can podcast. We go back quite a number of years. With I, ne- I always have to ask... Paul about this one, because I can never remember half the time how many years you can go back on the podcasting. But the, the idea is that if ever you're going into hospital or you're going on holiday, I always say to people, download as much as you can, because then at least you've got programmes or conversations or interviews or some of the other specialist things that we've got on the LBC website. It's, it's worth checking out just for the amount of stuff we've got. And once, once you've downloaded it, you keep it. And if you download the LBC app, which is well worth getting, then it will send it automatically to your phone. So my advice is go to the LBC website, check it out. I think from as little as £2 a month you can download everything. I have a free podcast for you every day, which will be up hopefully before 7. Although the other day we had two disastrous days where the machine just collapsed and imploded on itself. It was a bit like the Titanic. Uh, just with no loss of life, it has to be said. And um, and we didn't get the podcast up till much later, but at least we've managed to do it now. Coming up, the widow who wins the court fight to save her dead husband's sperm. LBC News Time. It's quarter to six. Morning, everybody. Looking at those uh, pictures on the television of this field that they've discovered in Gosport in Hampshire, which turned out to be a training ground for the First World War. They They recreated the battlefield with all the trenches and they only discovered it a short while ago by looking at an old aerial map of the area from 1951. And so the images on the television are terribly poignant because they literally trained the boys on this mock-up battlefield, including No Man's Land and the trenches and, and all the other things, and for the enemy as well. And then they were flown out there. But I think it was I think the figures were astronomical of how many died on the first, first day of war. It was something like a million people. A million people died. And uh, so to see these trenches again is just absolutely amazing. Uh, Glenn says, prior to owning a wheelchair, going to the West End to see a show was my greatest delight. I've not been for a decade. I intend to go this month and loved your last Hornchurch offering. 2010, was that the time we were in Hornchurch? Good grief. He says, I've saved the ticket as a souvenir. I've also saved some of the tickets as souvenirs. And I've got the photos as well. I've got the photos too. He says, if you had to recommend a comedy or a musical currently, what would you choose? Oh, there's so much in the West End. So much in the West End. I mean, I love Wicked. I've said that before. I think it's a, I think it's a great show. It, it works on so many different levels and they work so hard. Woman in Black, you'll like if you like a little bit of... <coughs> scary. Because that's, that's quite scary. Uh, what else? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I Can't Sing, the new musical with Nigel Harmon in. I think promises to be a goodie. I hope it, I hope it goes. I hope it's a, I hope it's a runner. So just a few things. But Wicked would be top of it. I just love... I love any show where you go to and they've got an orchestra. Still love Phantoms. Still love Les Miserables. They still stand out really, really well. Jersey Boys, excellent. Matthew says, I went to Machu Picchu. This is the uh, the lost city of the Incas. And said, it is fantastic, but it's very hard to breathe. Yeah, because the air is so thin up there. It's where they got all the rocks from to build it, isn't it? That, that was the, the big question about Machu Picchu. And it's on this documentary which I got from National Geographic. It is quite amazing. I work at a, a nightclub, says Turka, which is the box in Soho. Do we know the box in Soho? 
we know the bot? No. Polly doesn't think he's been there. He said, oh, you do know it. Oh, OK. Anyway, uh, he says, finish my shift at 4.30. Always listen to your programme on the way home. Driving to Grey's in Essex. He says, as I'm foreign, he said, I listen to your programme and it improves my English. He said, so now you can add bar staff to your listener list. Do you know, I have no doubt that there's all sorts of people listening. Milkmen, bar staff, radio presenters... Nurses, poli- loads of police officers, loads of police officers. And what are bus drivers, uh, Warburton's drivers, milkmen. I mean, just about everybody who's in London at this time. Loads of taxi drivers, loads of taxi drivers. Uh, Neil says, uh, please wish our lovely Winnie a fantastic birthday on Sunday. Uh, how did the stents go yesterday? No, we haven't got the uh, the stents yet. We're, we're still at the examination stage, but I have no doubt they're around the corner, I'm afraid. He says, uh, take things easy. A very good diabetic friend of mine at 55 died yesterday. Oh, thanks. That makes me, makes me feel a bit better about life, doesn't it? Not. No, I mean, you, I mean, I appreciate I have to. It's, it's the feet. You've got to watch it. It's all sorts of things, I'm afraid. There's just a, there's a, a catalogue of disasters waiting to, uh, to trip you up. The one thing you don't need if you're a diabetic is stress. Stress is really, really bad for diabetes. It just makes it worse. So if ever I get stressed then uh, that makes it worse. Um, <laughs> Howard says, The One Show will be relaunched in the autumn. It will be renamed The Onesie Show with new presenter Christo. Yes, his hair's got its own its own show, I believe, as well, somewhere. He sent me a text the other day saying, Be nice, I'm listening. I thought, no, that, really, that just makes me worse, I'm afraid. Makes me much worse. And uh, I used to be Michael the Milkman, says Michael the Black Cab Poet. On two separate occasions, I too had around 600 customers. With all that walking, I was never fitter. You see, the trouble is, and then you reach that, that middle age thing where to lose the weight is very difficult, depending on your hours. And it is, I mean, I, I put on weight because of the insulin, but, and also I don't get much exercise. That probably doesn't help at all, does it? Uh, one of my best friends, says Steve, is extremely Scottish. And there is a, a Gaelic or Gaelic dialect that they use, but I think he said it was actually very rare, usually heard in the extremes of the highlands and in remote places. Was Vegas expensive to have fun or like anywhere else? Uh, no, it's not expensive. It's expensive if you want to gamble. And I'll tell you what is expensive. Going to the shows. I mean, we went to a show. We got, again, I was very lucky. We got complimentary tickets. I think one of them, they were $175 per seat. And that was cheap for one of these shows. If you want a really good seat, you could pay $300 for a, for a, a show in Las Vegas. But the, the, the whole place is designed to part you from your money. Eating out is cheap. Uh, and you, I mean, you can spend a fortune eating out. You can go, as Neil will tell you, to the Bellagio, and they've got the Picasso room, which is genuine Picassos on the walls of the restaurant. I think Neil prefers the chocolate room there. I think he's actually happier with that. But no, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's no more expensive than anywhere else. It's a blooming long flight, though. And remember, it's hot. It's in the middle of the, the desert. Uh, June says, languages of the UK. England, English. Wales, Welsh. Ireland, Celtic or Gaelic. Scotland, gibberish. Essex, rubbish. <laughs> yes, I mean, all these people, the only way is Essex was only highlighted the other day. What a nasty person this Frank is in there. I can't, I don't know what his name is at all. You know, ridiculous. 84850, steve at uk. Uh, Colin says, I'm surprised nobody's come up with a sequel to Drop the Dead Donkey. I don't know why it finished. I thought it could have run forever and ever. I, I like the idea that we sometimes resurrect, uh, you know, old, old shows. But uh, I don't know. Liza Minnelli will be taking part in a Los Angeles version of your In Conversation on April the 20th. Actually, uh, Stephen Tomkinson was telling us 
that they've got to get together. Where is it? Where is it? Might be at the Tricycle Theatre. Might be very, very soon. Uh, of cast members from Brassed Off, the film about the brass band, which I said, actually, you know, I'm not schmoozing, but I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And he said, we've got a Q&A session coming up, which is great. Anyway, she's going to be interviewed on stage at the Gay Centre's Theatre in Hollywood. Uh, the interview is a drag queen called Miss Coco Peru, and Ellen and her wife are expected to be in the audience. Tickets go from 75 to $500, and all receipts go to the LA Gay Centre. The theatre holds around 300 It'll be a sellout. You're dead right about Americans being holier than thou about some things. Liza couldn't give a stuff about Ellen's gag. In fact, I think she's glad of the publicity. Stephen, you're probably right, I should imagine. I, like, I just like Liza Minnelli. I would love to talk to her. Because when you think she, she was around, she was on screen as a baby. Her mother held her up. And I think it's when they were filming... <sighs> Meet Me in St. Louis. I think Meet Me in St. Louis, Liza Minnelli featured a baby. And she goes, that's me. There's me. Look, look, there's me. Because I, I saw it on that, that great documentary which looks at all the great Hollywood movies. Uh, Mick Hughes is 67 today says Bernie. Christ. And uh, you'll see him in the borough later. Mick Hughes. So happy. 67. Good grief, honestly. And uh, I'm going to see, says Jackie from Paddock Wood, uh, with Karen from Swindon. I can't sing. I think you'll love it. Apparently, it's, it's some, some of it is so over the top. But Simon Cowell has seen it. He seems to be OK with it. It's a little bit of a Mickey take. My favourite show so far, Oliver. Love watching the kids perform. And by the way, she says, add to your list of people who listen regularly to the programme, matrons. Yes, matrons. Uh, In fact, anybody who works in hospitals, anybody who works with the ambulance service or the private ambulance, funeral service, everybody. Everybody. Although I can't actually see you sitting in the back of a hearse laughing, listening to this programme when you've got a coffin in there with you. Uh, today, the weather for you, just in case you're worrying about it. Cloudy and breezy throughout the morning. Spells, oh, I thought we were going to have nice sunny today. Clouds of, um, clouds of cloud and sp- spells of rain, which could be heavy, drier with lighter winds after midday, remaining cloudy for a time before eventually breaking to sunny conditions. Currently nine degrees and it'll reach 14 that's so, so OK, isn't it? Tonight, dry and clear during the evening, perhaps becoming foggy and misty in places. Minimum six and Saturday. Cloudy and misty in the morning, remaining largely dry. Clouds should be clear northwards by midday, introducing some mild, breezy and pleasantly sunny conditions. And for Sunday, dry, mild and sunny. So that's good news for the rugby at Twickenham. And uh, the Welsh, look, see you bark, um, are going to be down in force. And we shall look forward to welcoming as many people as possible. Other front pages of the papers this morning. I'll run through them uh, just after six. The Corrie exclusive, Skating, Love Triangles and Babies. I suspect it's somebody who's probably been in the Strictly Come Dancing programme and now they're talking about it. Uh, the teenager who collapsed, it's an old story. She, she died three times, they say. And now, I suppose it's done as a warning to people. She was drinking these Jaeger bombs, these drinks which are really dangerous. I mean, she drank ten. So not exactly, you know, the brightest penny in the box. I love Pretty Vacant. After Cameron Diaz yesterday said that Diet Coke is worse than smoking fags, we've got some of the most stupid celebrity quotes that you will ever hear. You cannot believe how dumb these people are. Coming up very shortly, it's the uh, news at six o'clock. Plenty more to come this morning. On the uh, early breakfast show on LBC, the widow who wins the court fight to save her dead husband's sperm. Britons, that's you, stuffing your home with £32 billion worth of junk. 
the dinner party dilemmas, how to avoid the social blunders, low salt and vinegar. So, in other words, you can you can have sort of special salt on your on your chips. Lots of chippies could reduce their salt consumption by two thirds, and a school that lets its pupils have cigarette breaks because the headmaster says it stops them from bunking off. Can you believe it? All of that and more. This is LBC. I'm Steve Allen, and it's all next. LBC. Morning, five past six. It's the final 30, final 25 minutes of the programme this Friday morning. Looking forward to the weekend. Still to come, some of the daft things that celebrities say. I don't know why we would ever think that celebrities wouldn't say daft things. This is after Cameron Diaz says Diet Coke is worse than smoking cigarettes. We've got some absolute howlers for you this morning. Don't forget our gadget competition. The front pages of all the papers... And uh, they make very interesting reading. And we're trying to find out the most unusual profession that listens to this programme in the early hours of the morning. Uh, somebody says here, Steve, don't forget funeral directors to the motor trade, i.e. scrap merchants. Scrap merchants up at this time of the morning? I don't believe a word of it. Because it is only five past six. There's a lot to get through between now and half past. Hope you're well. I know it's, it's not as good as I thought it was going to be today. I was seriously hoping I could bring you blazing hot sunshine. I think over the weekend it'll be OK for you, but not at this precise moment in time. Uh, and we weave all your texts and emails in to the programme. 84850 uk. So if you've sent them in. I mean, sad, somebody said uh, Liza Minnelli has had a lot of surgery. Well, I, I did see her. I mean, to be honest with you, if somebody had said, who is it? I wouldn't have known. I'd have had to have looked and gone, oh, I think it's Liza Minnelli. Uh, Jill says, I'm sure loads of primary school teachers listen. And uh, another one here that says, uh, you can add convent staff to your list. Convent staff? How lovely. How lovely. I love, a good, I love a good convent staff. I think that's good. Dog handler says, James... Rick says, lots of us who work on the underground at night listen to you. I did, incidentally, Ian, thank you very much indeed for resurrecting it again, hear about the Pope's Freudian slip. He said the rude word. He used an F word. It was, it was not actually directly, but the translation was of that, I'm afraid. Uh, Mark says, don't forget the plasterers. I always think that's so clever. I always think that is so clever. Re- you know, really. You know, it's just absolutely amazing, isn't it? Plaster. How do you ever get to do things like that? And uh, Margaret, all the way down in St Ives, and says, uh, I had my eye test yesterday and was told both my eyes have the early stage cataracts. You know, the, you, they can do things about things like that now. You, they, they, I mean, they seriously can do things like that. It's, they, they, they can sort things out. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not as bad as you think. Not as bad as you think. So... That's, that's not, not too much to worry about. Not too much to worry about. Uh, another one here says, I'm over 60 and I've lost five and a half stone. So age is not a barrier. Too much food, whatever your age. Well, some people do have a, a gene which makes them put on weight. Some people have an illness and it's not necessarily linked to the amount of food that they eat. You'll find that uh, diabetics, those who are linked to, to weight, insulin does make you put on weight, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Terence says, uh, I'm very surprised you like Gordon Ramsay. His TV ratings may well be high, but that's because he appeals to the chav masses. You're joking, you don't, see, you don't find any, uh, any chavs in any of his restaurants. It's way too upmarket. Way too upmarket. You wouldn't, it's, no, no, he doesn't appeal to chavs at all. He really doesn't. He's absolutely, he's top-notch. He's best friend with the Beckhams. 
They're not chavs. Wait a minute. No, they're not chavs. No, it's silly. Of course, they're not chavs. You know, and you won't find any people that can't pull like that going in these restaurants. Can't afford it. It's way too expensive. Um, I'm a digger driver, and I listen to your programme. Thank you. I told you we get, we've got everybody. I don't think there's anybody we've, we've, we've excluded so far. And uh, another one here says, um, Scouse is the most famous accent in the world. All right. Is it Scouse accent? I used to like, was it Sonia, the singer? Come from Liverpool? I don't know why. Every time you talk about Liverpool, everybody's voice has got to go up about three octaves. You ever remember Sonia? Was she a bit before your t- bit before your t- How embarrassing. Shaken? <laughs> is that Kentucky Fried? <laughs> Shaken. <laughs> oh, dear. 84850, steve at I'll give you the, the gadget competition at the moment. And uh, Wayne, he says, you can add air cabin crew to the list. I listen from all over the world. And then somebody says, television set builders, <laughs> you're pushing it now, private investigators, and, uh, and another one here, uh, drugs workers. Yes, I suppose drugs workers, yes. You know, that's, that's, that's good. And, sorry, what? Pharmaceutical, yes, I mean, that's OK. But air, air cabin crew, of course, because this is the time. It's wor- the worst thing is, if you're air cabin crew, you're sitting there and you're on standby. And you can't go out. You've got to wait until it goes past a certain time. But then, then they phone you and they go, uh, we need you today. And you're like, oh, for goodness sake. For goodness sake. I don't think so. Um, the furious dad of a girl who tried to kill herself after being bullied on Snapchat demanded yesterday the mobile phone app be axed. Kenny May described the programme which sends pictures and messages that automatically vanish seconds later as a lethal weapon. His daughter, Charlotte, 12 was released from hospital after she took a drugs overdose following abuse on Snapchat by a fellow pupil. You see, now, what I would want to know, and I'm, perhaps I'm a little bit simplistic on this one, I want to know who that other pupil is. I want them in court. If, if they've said stuff that has driven a 12-year-old girl to take a drugs overdose, you should know exactly who it is. You should have to know. This person should not be able to hide by anonymity. We know that she goes to uh, a school um, near her home in West Sussex, and a school spokesman said, we're in contact with the family. We take the well-being of all students extremely seriously. Good. Snapchat, of course, had no comment at all. I bet by the end of the day, they will have. So after Cameron Diaz, ladies and gentlemen, said the other day that Diet Coke was worse than smoking fags. Um, here are some of the really stupid things. You will not be surprised that they are people known for being a bit thick. Joey Essex. I know who Richard and Judy are. Are they the ones who created the world? I mean, it's I mean, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Embarrassing, really. And he's bringing out an autobiography. I'm assuming it'll be sort of a, just a colouring book or something. Um, Paris Hilton, what's Walmart? Do they sell the wall stuff? Justin Bieber, on visiting the Anne Frank Museum. Anne was a great girl. Hopefully she would have been a believer. Because that's what his, uh, his fans are called. Um... Uh, Helen Adams, one of the Big Brother contestants, dippy old Helen. Is there any chicken in chickpeas? I mean, luckily she's disappeared off the radar. Gwyneth Paltrow, I'd rather smoke crack than eat cheese from a tin. Uh, Paris Hilton, no, no, I didn't go to England, I went to London. Actress, uh, who's this one actually? David Hasselhoff, I've got taste, it's inbred in me. You can't believe it, can you? I have actually sat next to him. Admit it, we weren't actually sitting together or anything like that. Eskimos are uncivilised because they don't have any shops. The immensely dim Jodie Marsh, poor creature. I didn't even know she was still going, I'm afraid. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
And here's the perfect one to finish this bit of the programme. Gay marriage should be between a man and a woman. Not the brightest penny in the box, is he? That's the man who was cheating on the wife, you remember. That's the Arnold, I don't think we'll take any notice of you at all. Competition for today, the gadget competition. You've got 15 minutes left. Yesterday, Jacqueline Ingalls from Epsom got the iPad Mini. It was Crocodile Rock, the Elton John song. Today, to win an Asus touchscreen VivoBook X200. Answer this question correctly. Which popular recording artist released My Heart Will Go On... In 1997. My heart will go on in 1997. Who was that? To enter this competition, you text the word gadget, followed by your answer, and send it to 84850. So gadget, then the answer, and send it to 84850 before 6.30 this morning. The text will cost £1.50, plus your standard network rate. If you text after the closing time, you won't be entered, but may still be charged. We play across the LBC network. Full terms and condition online at lbc.co.uk. It's a lovely prize, it really is. And because it's touchscreen, oh, and it's got Windows 8 in it as well, it makes the perfect gift for either yourself, and I see no problem with somebody keeping this gift for themselves, or failing that, you can give it away to somebody as a present. It's absolutely ideal. You can do everything for work or for play. The Asus touchscreen VivoBook X200 touchscreen, and with Windows 8, could be your prize today if you're pulled. It could be your day. It might be one of those days where, you know... Lady Fortune is looking down on you and going, you will be today's lucky recipient. Daily Star on the front page, Prince Harry uh, ended up flat on his back as he launched a para-Olympic-style competition for injured war heroes. Uh, Simon Cowell, who says he wants two more children. Uh, the uh, the Max Clifford... Think, what, do you want to... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, talking to myself, though. And, uh, and also... Um, Oh, I can't read that. Well, it's far too it's far too rude, actually. It was about Justin Bieber having a wee. We did we did that on the programme the other day. But this time, the judge has released the film of it for some peculiar reason. Uh, coming up in £9.48 9, in 1973. That's worth, what, about £100. LBC 614. This is LBC. Nick Ferrari and the team with you at 7 o'clock this morning on LBC. And this morning... As the Home Secretary orders an inquiry into undercover policing, Nick will be asking, how can we trust the police now? Plus, he'll be talking to the woman battling to keep her dead husband's sperm about the latest twists in the case. And an LBC exclusive on how much you'll soon have to earn to live in the capital. I can't wait to hear that one. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm, I'm within, the, uh, within the parameters of it. Um, apparently, David Beckham is to carry on doing his bit for Britain. I thought, that's nice. I wonder what he's going to be doing. No, it's another paid advert. Uh, he's promoting Jaguar. In uh, in China, and then called Davy Boy Beckham, who you imagine probably doesn't, couldn't even fathom it how to put petrol in a thing, says here, I've always been an admirer of Jaguar from the styling and design to the roar of the engine. I thought he drove a Bentley, actually. But there you go, as I say, never let it spoil a good story. And, of course, he does get paid a huge amount of money. That's all David Beckham does now. He just, he just gets paid huge amounts of money to sort of model in underwear or sort of pose by a car, as if it made any difference. And in, in China... China, of all places. Well, there you go. Uh, very quickly, more of your uh, texts and emails here. I'm in Dubai, and uh, us trolley dollies, says Catherine. I have the pleasure of listening to your uh, humour. It helps to dilute my jet lag. So you've got loads of... I love it. I'm, I'm a big fan of people doing different jobs. Uh, Kent says, I'm not Irish, but whenever I've made references to Gaelic being the native language of Ireland, Irish people have corrected me and said their language is called Irish. And that's what Gaelic is that spoken in Scotland? Well, I think I think it's both, isn't it? Celtic or Gaelic? I don't know anybody who actually speaks it, but I'm sure there must be. The producer does. 
There's always somebody, isn't there? There's always somebody just just to make me more inferior. Just to make me more inferior. Um, <laughs> dreadful. I agree with the decision, says Jackie in Paddock Wood, made to allow the extension of the uses of her dead husband's sperm. She's travelled a horrible journey watching her dear husband die. She's grieving and not ready at this stage to get pregnant, but stress often terminates early pregnancies anyway. I wish her well. She's led a good life and she lost her husband. Yes, I mean, I, I can only wish her the very best with it. Uh, Joe says, speech and language therapists listen to Steve. I think we've just about so... All I need is a member of the royal family. I need... I mean, I know, ma'am, if, if you're listening, and uh, nice to have you with us this morning. You know, I know that Princess Diana used to listen to the programme. I know she used to listen. She used to phone up. And I said, no, don't bother us now, Di, OK? We're really busy. But uh, that's, that's what I need. I need a member of the royal family. You know, a proper member of the royal family. OK? Uh, Neil says, don't forget to mention for all the print workers... And Noreen, a safe journey up to Blackpool. Yeah, I'm always thinking, I, was, well, I spoke to Stephen Tomkinson saying about Blackpool. I said, it's funny, isn't it? The train doesn't go to Blackpool. You have to change. And then it takes you, I think, to either Blackpool North or Blackpool South. She loves it up there. I think Brian actually loves it as well. Uh, Phil says, I wonder if any travellers listen to your show. I should imagine so. I should imagine so. And a little plug for, for, for Jan from South Norwood. She said, uh, Jangles Jewellery. Is it, uh, the, is it the Gingham Goose Craft Fair in Hayes Village Hall, Bromley? And uh, said it's all handcrafted. She said, by the way, did your friend's over 60s Oyster card arrive? I don't think he's applied for it just yet. I'll ask him the next time I, I see him there. Catherine says, I live in Australia and it's ten past five. So I listen while I'm getting dinner ready, which is very nice. Uh, little Julie says, uh, looking forward to some warm sunshine. Not today. It doesn't sound that exciting, does it? 14 degrees and some rain's coming in, which I'm a little bit disappointed about. I'm a photocopying engineer, says Alan in Glasgow. He says, no more food talk. As I did a Steve Allen with my Marks and Spencer sweet and sour chicken last night, fell asleep on the sofa and woke up wearing it. Yes, as indeed I did. As indeed I did. What's this a picture of, which Neil sent me a picture of? Good Lord, an AA box. I haven't seen one of those for ages. He said, it's up near Manchester. It's an old AA box. Perhaps they were filming. It's one of those boxes where you opened it. It's a, it looks like the, the TARDIS. That lovely. I love stuff like that. It's very interesting. Uh, I've now lost as well. Oh, what have I lost? I've lost my, my text messages again. I'm not very good at these sort of things. Uh, Jenny says, I'm on my way to work from East London to Teddington. Andrew is in Tunbridge. He says, uh, listen to you for years. They all say that. They all say, I'm, I'm your oldest listener or something like that. <laughs> I'm a London bus driver, says Nicky, and Hungarian. And I listen to your show. Not when I'm working, though. But I guess you get all sorts of people. Yes, I, I agree. There, I mean, there is just about everybody. Um, <laughs> I'm a carer during the week. Uh, doorman uh, at the weekend. OK. Uh, we listen. Uh, we're cleaners at Biggin Hill. We start at 2.30 and we have you on from 4, says Cheryl. So that's good news. Front pages of the papers, quickly. Let's, let's run through these before the programme finishes this morning. And we hand over to Lisa Aziz. On the Daily Star, the front page, have sex with you and I'll make you famous. These allegations in the trial of Max Clifford, the celebrity PR guru. The pictures, yes, him on the television. It's unusual. He's normally the person who's propelling people into the limelight. This time he's in the limelight. Uh, the Daily Mirror, skating, love triangles and babies. It's a Corrie exclusive. An interview with somebody who's been in skating. Uh, the Jaeger bomb binge put me in a coma. A girl who should have known better. You know, you think people are intelligent, but they drink themselves into stupors nowadays. Um, the Daily Express, 
Time we got bigger payouts, say pensioners. I agree to that one. And there's outrage over plans to give asylum seekers more benefits. The Daily Mail, the lies, the spies, the cover-ups and the corruption, the sickening extent of Stephen's betrayal. This is two decades of shameful police lies about the Stephen Lawrence case. His mother broke down in the House of Lords the other day. The Sun on the front page, it's uh, Bad Max. Posed as big star to lure victims. This is Max Clifford. The Daily Telegraph, a picture of Doreen Lawrence and, uh, and the corruption, which extended, they say, even to spying on her family. For The Independent, they've got Stephen Lawrence on the front page. An unprovoked murder, a farcically botched inquiry by a racist police force, two failed prosecutions, one public inquiry, only two killers convicted, and now, 21 years on... The Home Secretary orders a new public inquiry as a QC's report confirms this newspaper's revelation that the Met suppressed evidence of corruption in the original investigation into Stephen Lawrence's death. The Times say you can't trust the police. It's, uh, it's not good news for the police. Uh, the Metro today, the teenager's heart, which stopped three times because she'd had these Jaeger bombs, and uh, a student who... Uh, I can't even tell you what he eats, actually. He eats all this peculiar food. You know when they go into the jungle, and we'll talk about that in a future In Conversation with Kian Egan, he didn't have any problems with eating all this peculiar food. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I said that would be the thing that would stop me going into the jungle. I couldn't actually have, have anything like that at all. Thank you very much indeed for your company for this morning. Get those entries in for the competition as quick as possible. Your chance to win the Asus Touchscreen VivoBook X200 could be you. Who knows? All you have to do is answer that simple question and get those entries in literally within the space of two minutes. I'm back on Sunday morning, excuse me, <clears throat> from five o'clock with the best from the week and in conversation, the lovely Baroness Fluella Benjamin, a great conversation and the fabulous Stephen Tomkinson. If you missed any of today's show, you can listen again whenever and wherever you like through our new podcast service. Download the app now from the LBC website. Later on LBC, Nick Ferrari is here from seven talking about the woman battling to keep her dead husband's sperm. Next, it's Lisa Aziz with the LBC Morning News. This is LBC. 